Okay, guys. D&D 5e has released paladins of their need to be a religious sect of being religious holy warriors. In fact, now they're just warriors who have taken an oath. So I have a question for you. Outside of a religious order, what is the best grouping that a paladin can belong to? We're not going to roll on this one. Just throw the ideas out. Because me, what what I thought was yeah. like a conglomerate, like a, a business, right? These are the guys. These are the repo men. These are the ones who are being sent out really? to collect <laughs> the debts. Okay, like, All hail really, the Lord that's of money. Seemed, okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, I was leaning more towards like the monarchy. Like I'd, yeah, okay. I'd lay down my life for the queen. She hasn't got a whole lot. Probably not now because what? She's going to get an extra two years or something like that. <laughs> I'm not. I'm 33. I'm not dying so she can get an extra two years. But 30 years ago, I would have done that. I mean, e- even the first in line to the throne should probably abdicate at this point. Charles, I'm looking at you. Hey, my nan, my nana said that she always said for years uh, that Charles will abdicate. I think we're going to go straight to William and Princess Catherine because she's not a Kardashian. Kyle, yeah, <laughs> I think just like protecting a certain group of people. Like, so my mind goes to uh, you know those bikers against child abuse. Oh yeah, okay. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, okay. I think those guys. Can oh kind yeah, of that's actually that, yeah, actually that's, that's, that's pretty nice. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, now I imagine D and D world like a group of riders. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That are basically all just paladins. You think they would be rangers, but no, man. Yeah, I'd, ma- I'd maybe suggest do something else. We don't want to encourage that kind of uh, theme coming up over and over again in D and D. Warriors come out to play. Well, just you don't want to be like breaking into the cave to like get the MacGuffin, and then Kyle's like, "Anybody touching kids in here?" <laughs> Damn, Kyle. It's a mimic, the roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation on classes. I am Terry and with me today are Kyle and Dan and this episode is called Paladins, putting the pal in paladin. We previously covered the oaths of ancients, devotion and vengeance subclasses in our first paladin episode which started off with a breakdown of the regular class features and level progression. In our second paladins episode we went over the conquest, glory and redemption subclasses as well as the sections in Xanathar's Guide to Everything which encouraged players to consider personal goal symbol nemesis and temptation nemeses you can find these episodes as well as our other class episodes on spotify apple podcasts and dozens of other podcast apps or you can jump over to youtube and dig into the entire playlist on classes that we built there this episode though is going to take us into the pages of tasha's cauldron of everything where we're going to take a look at the subclass presented there as well as the optional class features and we'll also finally be covering the popular entry in the Dungeon Master's Guide, as well as the often forgotten Paladin subclass from the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. Something I learned today, Terry. You actually just told it to me. We always shorthand it to Skag. Right. Apparently in the UK, that is that is not a shittily made book. Skag means heroin. That England. means heroin. All right. You guys never seen Train Spotting, the movie? Oh yeah, of course I have. I just Gag. never made that connection. Yeah, we're always yeah. talking about Skag because they're addicted to heroin. Ah, uh, Ewan McGregor. Anyway, <laughs> okay. Well, I guess before we go, before we go into our individual subclasses, we're going to have to take a a real little recap into the class features from the player's handbook, so we can get warmed back up into paladins. Yeah, it's been a while since we've. Uh Touch base on it, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I won't go into too much detail here, but you guys let me know if you want me to touch on something else in a little bit more detail. Later. Wink. <laughs> Man, it's been a while. It's been a while. So at hit dice, 1d10 per paladin level. We know that paladins are proficient with simple weapons and martial weapons. We know that they're saving throws of wisdom and charisma. And we know that typically they're known for being the, the heavily armored great weapon fighting 
soldier of God, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, but we're going to explore ways today in which it, it doesn't need to be that way. Or is super that. Yeah. <laughs> or, or super, super the tank of the party. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, so a paladin will have a, a divine sense. It'll also get the ability to do lay on hands, which is their healing ability that they have. They get to choose one fighting style from any of the four in here. And then there's two in Tashes, which we three. will be going over today. There's three in Tashes, which we will... I promise I did my research. This <laughs> okay. Day. It's just when I'm going up to the DM seat, I get nervous. There's a lot to remember. <laughs> Uh, they get spellcasting, they're charisma spellcasters, they get divine smite, they get uh, divine health, and they get to choose a sacred oath. And we'll be looking at the new sacred oath in, t- in Tasha's today. That is essentially is the broad strokes of everything you need to know about a paladin. We've covered all of that in more detail previously. Yeah, I mean, you really get the idea that paladins are there to be the frontline warrior in the party. And they inject that little bit more flavor than, say, a fighter does. Right, I always, I always find that the the other head of the coin to a fighter, where like fighters are just about tearing shit apart and optimizing their martial capabilities. The paladin has that little bit of mysticism to it, that little bit of divine power that fuels them. I, I freaking love paladins, man. They're one of my favorite classes. So you're there to smite. Yeah. Oh Bitch, yeah, and smite. <laughs> they become that one note pony. Pretty. Uh, yeah. It's not even a thing. One note pony. One yeah. trick pony. One trick pony. There you go. They become one note and a bit of a one-trick pony. There we go. Blending phrases is your speciality. And and I do not do it intentionally. I'm just shit with phrases. But it's kind of sad because a lot of the spells they get are pretty fucking incredible. Mm -hmm. Well, should we look at some of the new stuff? Sure. Why don't we take a look at the five new spells that Paladins get access to out of Tasha's here? Sure. So, Gentle Repose essentially stops the body from decomposing and stops it from turning undead as well, I believe, for a short amount of time. Does it also allow you to revivify? Revivify? Revivify. Um, I always get that wrong. So, what Gentle Repose lets you do is that it basically puts stasis on a body for uh, 10 days, where you could touch a corpse or any other remains... For the duration, the target is protected from decay and cannot become undead. The spell also effectively extends the time limit on raising the target, like you said, so which allows you to revivify days later. So since days spent under the influence of the spell don't count against the time limit of such spells like Raise Dead. So if you manage to get a gentle repose down, which takes an action to cast immediately after and you don't have revivify... It, you're basically pushing pause on the body. Right. So the next day you get revivify, you can bring a body back. It is useful. It's overlooked, yeah. I think, as well, because yeah. people you're immediately you're trying to get to revivify. But if that's yeah. not an option, gentle repose is always good. Um, how about prayer of healing? So I believe that's a ten minute casting time, not a ritual, and it's a group healing spell. Yes, you're completely correct. I mean, it, it you could do up to six target creatures within range, and they deal two d eight plus your spellcasting modifier, so your charisma as a paladin, um, in healing, and it has no effect on undead or constructs which also has the spell slot bump so because this is a second level spell at third fourth and fifth levels you could cast a prayer of healing higher and each time you do you get another d8 perfect warding bond i believe allows you to share a hip pool with another willing creature so yeah uh it basically creates a connection between you and one other creature until the target ends which is an hour without concentration which is key this is something you cast when you're about to like Enter the boss fight room, and then it's just a buff that you get straight up. It gives the target of your spell, which is within 60 feet of you, a bonus to AC and saving throws, as well as resistance to all damage, period. So, Bear Totem Warriors, this is better. Nice. That's pretty good. Um, However, each time that target takes damage, you take the same amount of damage. Okay? Now, 
The spell will end whenever you or the target drops to zero hit points, or you become separated by more than uh, 60 feet. That would actually be kind of cool as an offensive spell. Like if you reversed like the... Yeah. The, uh, all I the get, benefits. I guess, uh, I mean, I'm trying to figure out like you cast it on a... Well, I mean, the creature does have to be willing, so I don't think you'll be able to do that, and you would end up taking half the damage anyways. Yeah, so well, I, yeah, that's what I mean. It's like it's uh, almost like assisted suicide, right? Like you want to take me down, I'm going to take you down with you. Or wait, I don't no. think it quite works that way. Yeah. There, there would uh, there. I think there are other spells that do that. This is purely a benefit where the target gains resistance and boosts to their armor class, and you end up paying the cost of taking their damage with them. Hmm. Nice. Uh, Spirit Shroud. Spirit Shroud essentially allows you to cast an extra 1d8 damage uh, of any of a radiant, necrotic, or cold damage, and it also allows you to reduce that creature's speed by 10 feet as well. Final one I have for you is Summon Celestial, where you can summon a Celestial. I don't know if there's any particular rules that go along with that. I'm sure there is, but that's essentially the meat and potatoes of it. So the main thing with Summon Celestial is it's, again, one of these Tasha's spells. It lets you summon a very generic Celestial that's statted out and you summon that exact same Celestial. So previous editions, you'd get like a range of Celestials you could cast. No, you get the one. Right. And you just flavor it however you want. I actually, I Googled it to get the information. I, mean, I don't go on Reddit because I find it to be a, a nasty place. And I Googled it. And the first thing that came up was a Reddit entry about this spell. And it simply said, Summon Celestial sucks. And I said, that's enough Reddit for one day for me. No, <laughs> <laughs> they're not wrong. It is not a great spell. You spend your bonus action to kind of tell the Celestial what to do. And it could do things like it could use its action to heal, which is a little drop in the pan heal. Right. Which this is a fifth level spell for you. It should be more than a drop in a pan heal at that point. Mm. And you guys, is there anything that jumps out to you there from the, those new spells that uh, you think doesn't fit? Doesn't fit the uh, that generic doesn't fit the paladin? theme or, you know, that, that jumps out for for any other reason. Uh, Spirit Shroud kind of feels off, but that's just because the other four feel very kind of right. cleric-y, right? Yeah. The, the, the spells add that little bit of like buffer and booster and protection, yeah. where Spirit Shroud is very offensive and very... I mean, you're going to be blowing your spell slots to smite anyway, so it doesn't really fucking matter. But <laughs> That's true. Uh, true enough. Okay, well, let's take a look. There's um, three additional fighting styles uh, as well as options uh, in Tasha's too. So the first one is Blessed Warrior, which allows you to learn two cantrips uh, from the cleric spell list. And then you have the, um, the ability to change these later on. You can replace one cantrip as you as you level up, I believe, whenever you gain a level, yeah. But I'll go through the other two before we even touch on these ones as well. Blind Fighting jumped out at me as well. So Blind Fighting allows you to have blind sight within a range of 10 feet and means that even if you are blinded, you can still effectively see a target within 10 feet of you and you can still damage it as you would normally. Moreover, you can even see invisible creatures within that range um, unless that creature successfully hides from you. And the final one is interception. When a target other than you is hit and that target is within five feet of you, you can reduce the damage. So it's uh, you can reduce that damage by 1d10 plus your proficiency modifier to a minimum of zero. Rules for this is you must be wielding a shield or a simple or a martial weapon, which you most likely will be oh, as yeah. a paladin. Mm -hmm. So I guess we can roll initiative if you'd like to on this and we can talk about whether or not you like these fighting styles. I got a two. I'm rolling really well today, I got a guys. one. So. 14. Yeah, I think they're pretty good. I mean, blind fighting, it seems pretty scenario specific. I don't see it coming in 
handy a lot. Yeah, that's right. It's good, but yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. How often are you actually going to use it? Let's uh, go in the cave again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, interception is really good, uh, especially if you are playing in party with a bunch of other melee characters. Right. I'm about to start one where I'm playing a paladin, and I am the only melee character, so it's Ooh. not really going to do me a whole lot of good. But I think it's like it's a pretty powerful one, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. If you're playing in a party with another with a rogue. With a rogue especially, it's going to be great. Or like a Hexblade war, uh, Warlock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What about a protection fighter? Will they have a similar thing where they can <laughs> essentially create disadvantage? I mean, you take interception, you're also going to be picking up Sentinel at level four. Let's be completely Just honest. Just stand right next to your champion fighter who's yeah. a, uh, who's a protection fighter as well, like I played. And you guys just do everything together and you'll yeah. be fine. No monsters move. Yeah, you guys are just taking each other's damage away from each other. Like, yeah, you're the t- you throw a throw a life cleric behind you, and okay, you're an unbeatable combo. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, Dan, unless it's your turn, if, unless there's anything else you want to add to it. Honestly, uh, blessed warrior, I get the oh, sweet. You're you get two cantrips as a paladin. That's really powerful. The the cantrips uh, selection for uh, clerics is badass and can add a lot of flavor. Just take a level in cleric. You're going to get more spells slots at the end of the day by doing that for your smites. Yeah. So just take a level of cleric. Mm. It's going to go better for you at the end of the day. However, you don't want to do it. I guess this is a good uh, fit. Blind fighting, I'm with you, is very situational, and you only get the one fighting style, so why the hell would you take this? Yes. I mean, interception's badass. Like, it it is just, of the three options, interception is by far the most powerful of them. And it's not limited. You just do it as your reaction. Yeah. Right? So every turn, as long as you're standing shoulder to shoulder with one of your buddies, you're taking damage away from them. Okay, so blind fighting I love. I think it's cool, but it's too situational for me. Blessed Warrior, from the way I play D&D, I'm not going to use that. I'm sure that would be very useful for somebody, but I'll look at the original fighting styles from the PHB, and I'm just going to lean into one of those. And then for Interception, I just view that as crappy protection fighter. Because Protection Fighter allows you to... The same rules, other than apart from the fact it's not reduced damage, it's put disadvantage on the attack because the damage is is too little here that you reduce 1d10 plus your proficiency bonus but as you start to get to higher levels i think it's more advantageous to give disadvantage to that attack uh yeah i can see what you're saying there i mean before like in tier one tier two interception is going to beat up yep. the math in that 100 percent. yeah mm-hmm. tier three tier four when things are starting to hit for 40 50 60 70 damage a hit and they get three hits all around yeah okay sure and it's a situational thing as well yeah. where and let me tell you as playing a protection fighter the other players aren't expected to dance to your tune you know they're not they're thinking about your turn not their turn but you're constantly trying to put yourself in a position where you can aid them and they're just constantly moving away because they're doing their own thing well you played the protection warrior in a group that had a sorcerer who is part barbarian but was mostly just in the back casting firebolt a ranged ranger horizon walker yeah. i think and a bullet and a monk who preferred to do ranged weaponry yeah. As well and run around the field. So like you suffered from having the fact that you had a protection based melee warrior that yeah. really benefited having other melee based combatants in the party. Right. And you didn't have them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Then I showed up with Rezu and finally you had someone to. Finally a friend. <laughs> yeah. Someone to blast that off. Of. <laughs> Come on guys. I just want to save you. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well next up, I want to talk about the uh, the harness divine power and I'll try and do this as a, as 
as easily as I can. But uh, this allows you to expend one of your channel divinity to fuel your spells. Essentially, you can, as a bonus action, spend a channel divinity to refuel that spell slot up to half your proficiency bonus rounded up. So we're thinking maximum level three here, level three spell. Uh, and you can do this a number of times depending on your level. So third level, you can do it once, seventh, twice, and then 15th level, you can do it thrice. And you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. This basically grows with your channel divinity and clerics get much the same thing, except it's your full proficiency modifier with it that clerics get. So I love this, especially since I have been, I've played a paladin a bunch of times. Kyle, I know you've played a paladin. You know what it's like when you're about to go into that third combat between rests and you're yeah. like, guys, I'm out of spell slots. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I smote the shit out of the skeletons in the first fight. Yeah. Had that one left for the necromancer in the second fight. We're about to fight these like ancient zombies. I got nothing. Yeah. Right. I'm hitting so, it like, with my this, staff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to poke it until it dies. You know, <laughs> this, this helps. This gives a little bit more extension of that shelf life that a paladin suffers from yeah a little more versatility for your playing style oh yeah i mean that too right if you want to play a caster paladin which why but if you <laughs> wanted to you can have this just to get that other spell back and like a cleric you know all the spells so yeah. like it's you got to prepare the ones you want for the day but i mean you want to throw another brand uh branding smite on something this saves you that yeah i think for me the reason i'm not into it that much is because i'm very showy with my D&D, whether it's like <laughs> causing a large amount of damage where I'm like, yes, awesome, or providing something truly useful to the rest of the party. Like you guys know, I like Bane and that, that type yeah, of spell yeah. where I feel, where people are like, thank you, Terry, for making our life easier. But if I'm just in the background politely touching myself, that came out wrong. I meant like, <laughs> furiously touch. touching yourself? <laughs> um, just to regain a spell slot. And I'm like, and that's my turn. Then it doesn't feel like everyone's going to be going, ooh. Well, Channel of Divinity is triggered as a bonus action, right? Most Right, okay. So you get this back as a bonus action? I won't do it because it doesn't feel flashy enough, is basically what I'm saying. Uh, just make it flashy. <laughs> just yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> the interpretive down. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. You're a paladin. You're a charisma-based guy, right? You you want people looking yeah, at Yeah, you. that's it. That's it. Yeah, paladins are actually really good dancers, not that they ever get a chance. <laughs> not that anybody ever asks. Okay. I want to look at, the, look at this next ability, martial versatility. And this one, I can't wait to hear what you think about, actually. Essentially, fourth level paladin feature, martial versatility means that when you get to a point where you would get an ability score improvement, you can waive that for a chance to switch out your fighting style and not get an ability score improvement. What is your is, thoughts on this? Is that... I thought you could just do it whenever you got an ability score improvement. No, that's that's what this ability is. Instead, fuck Damn, that. Believe me. Whenever you reach a class that gains an ability score modifier, you can replace a fighting style you have with another fighting style for paladins. This replacement re represents a shift of focus in your martial practice. So you get to, when you hit the ASI level, you get to just, I don't like shields anymore. Great weapon. Yeah. yeah. Mastery, right? Yeah, man. I'm down. Right? I'm not. Because mm -hmm. you don't gain anything. You don't get, You don't have to give you up You get games. to refine your... You do gain. If no, you, you have don't. found... Everybody else gets an ability score improvement and you... This just, doesn't replace your ability score improvement. Yeah. This just This is over on the top. When you would ever, when you would get the level in this class that get, grants an ASI, you can also do this. Oh, okay. Yeah, so That's fine. You you get this at the same time as your ASI. I was just gonna mm. shit on it, but so right. like this 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 adds <laughs> that like we mentioned like the the blessed warrior cantrip being able to change it more frequently than a cleric would as well bothers me. This this just adds more versatility. It makes you not have to like 
really commit to certain yeah like, yeah if you're and if you're sensing a change in the campaign the story arc and what's are the types of enemies yeah. that are coming at you or the situational change or how other people are playing their characters well or, or level, characters get replaced right? or at yeah. level seven your sword and board uh paladin comes across a great sword that's a plus five vorpal great sword you're like well i don't have a shield anymore y'all intervention's not gonna work i forgot how to use shield i i, I well it's not that you forgot how to use shield it's just I'm not gonna use shield because this thing will chop its head off, yeah. right? True. So I, I like it. I, I it extends that shelf life. Okay. Okay. So now comes the time in every single episode where we break to what we like to call a commercial, um, but it's really just us pimping our own shit, and it makes Dan very uncomfortable to have to eat shit like this uh, when we ask you guys to do stuff for us. But we love you, and we love doing this podcast, but it is not freaking cheap. And I'm going to break the fourth wall, and I'm going to pull it back, and I'm going to say, guys, we could use the help. We are a struggling little podcast doing our own thing, and it comes entirely out of uh, our pockets. And we got to buy books to review them and to have be up to date on the regular stuff. We have to subscribe to D&D Beyond, and of course, there's the web hosting and, and paying Podbean and, and everything else. So we're asking, please, if you can find it in your hearts to kick a little bit in our direction. We are doing everything in our power to release as many different shows and episodes as we can. But it takes a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of love, and a lot of money. And to be completely honest, we have the setup here that we've had for about a year and a half now. And and if we could all get better mics, that this would be, would be a better show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, scripts and jokes out the window, guys. This is a bit of a passion project, and we don't have a Kickstarter, we don't have a Patreon, we do have a donate button on the website, and we do have a store with. You know, we're selling a lot of stickers these days. Which we are, is, which yeah, is interesting. But they're only a buck fifty a piece, so it only goes so far, <laughs> and we only get a cut of that. So, as a balding man, buy more hats. <laughs> Anyways, please and thank you for whatever you can kick our way. If you don't, just know that your clicks and your listens feed our our love and our passion as well. So thank you for everything that you do, even just by showing up and listening. Uh, if you have any more that you can throw our way, we would be more than more than grateful. At this point in the episode, we're going to dive into the subclasses. Would everybody please? Pick up their die. Okay, and let's together do this. we shall roll these dice. I got an eleven. I got an eight. Nine. Okay. All right. So it sounds like I am going first. And gentlemen, I am covering from from the heroin book, Sword Coast Adventures <laughs> Guide, Skag. Heroin um, is also a term that's used in D and D though, in fantasy storytelling. So well, that, that, that's, oh, that's okay, a heroine yeah. with an e at the end, like a female Amen. hero. Okay, I can't hear letters. So heroine. I mean, you're British. You literally can hear letters. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so the Oath of the Crown is basically a paladin who has sworn fealty to a lord or a king or an emperor or any of that kind of thing. They are the knightiest knight who ever knighted. Okay, if you want to play a knight, play this guy. I mean, there are a couple of good fighter options, but let's be honest, you get to smite. So play. A, you like smite. Oh, you like smite. So your okay. tenants... Uh, being a paladin of the Oath of the Crown is law, loyalty, courage, and responsibility. Law, your commitment to the law is paramount. It's the mortar that holds the stones of civilization together. Boring. And it must be respected. I like this because it's your, like, it's the law of your culture, your society, of the, the crown you s swear fealty to. Doesn't necessarily have to apply to where your character is in that given moment. 
Right. Okay. If if you swear fealty in Thay and you're down in Chult, that's going to play different in the law. Okay. Okay. You have loyalty. Your word is your bond. I mean, you're a fucking paladin. You're a knight. Honor is a code. Okay. So without loyalty, oaths and laws are meaningless. It's true. I, I actually agree with that. Courage. You must be willing to do what needs to be done for the sake of order, specifically order, even in the face of overwhelming odds. If you don't act, then who will? Again, the knightiest knight, whoever knighted, right? Like this is the guy who's running after the dragon by himself on his armored horse, right? I mean, I mean that might be a cavalier, which is a fighter subclass, but you get the point. Anyways, responsibility is the last one where you deal with the consequences of your actions and you are responsible for fulfilling your duties and obligations, okay? So you keep your word and you follow through with what you say. Now, for spells, you guys get command and compelled duel at third level. Paladin. Oh. So command, of course, is say a word and they have to do it with a wisdom save. Compelled duel is pretty fun because they make a wisdom save or they have to fight you. They have disadvantage on any attacks that involve a creature not you. So like you hinder them attacking anyone else but yourself. I love this. And it must make a wisdom save whenever it attempts to move away from you beyond 30 feet. So if it tries to run away from you beyond 30 feet... This is compelled duel, right? Yeah, this is compelled duel. You make it fight you, and if it doesn't want it, it tries to run away. It has to make a wisdom save. Now, it does add a little uh, caveat to you as the player. The spell will end if you try to attack anyone other than the thing you compelled duel with. Oh, I love it, though. If you cast a spell that targets a hostile creature other than the target, friends... I mean, you don't really get Fireball, but an AoE that one creature kind of just happens to be affected by, as long as you're still mainly targeting your main character, I'd let the duel continue. And if a creature friendly to you damages that target or casts a harmful spell on it. Where the effect ends if your friend hits it? So, So when you compel duel, they have to fight you, but none of your friends can fight it. Right. Okay. Okay. It's just, it's mono a mono. Okay. You also get Warding Bond, which we already talked about earlier mm-hmm. as a Paladin spell. This was part of the Oath of Crown before. As well as Zone of Truth, which make a wisdom save or not be able to tell a lie. You get Aura of Vitality at ninth level, which is basically a 30-foot radius around you where you can use your bonus reaction to heal a creature for 2d6 hit points. And that sticks with you for a minute. It just follows you around like an aura. Congratulations, you're a Paladin. You have auras use them and spirit guardians which is a great little spell that gives you a like a small army that follows you around and just does a fuck ton of damage to things right right? and reduces other creatures speed to half yeah it's a ridiculously powerful spell at 13th level you get banishment which i mean we all know what banishment does get the fuck off my plane and guardian of faith which creates a spectral guardian in a specific square that lasts for eight hours any hostile creature that enters a space within 10 feet of the Guardian has to succeed on a dex save or take 20 radiant damage straight up, half as much on a successful one. The Guardian will vanish after it deals 60 points of damage. Sick. Finally, at 17th level, you get Gish, which is basically an advanced form of command. You tell a creature to do a thing and they just are compelled to do it. If they don't, they take 5d10 psychic damage, right? And you get Circle of Power which is another aura ability which radiates 30 feet from you and any friendly creature in the area has advantage on all saving throws against spells or other magical effects. And additionally, 
when an affected creature succeeds on a saving throw made against a spell or magical effect that allows it to take only half damage, it takes none of the damage instead. Ooh. Okay? Mm. These spells are very much a, you fight me, only me, you will do what I tell you to do, no one else will tell you what to do, and I will benefit my group around me to fight the rest of your friends at the same time. Yeah. Okay? Now you get two uh, channel divinity options at third level with these guys. You get the champion challenge, which is as a bonus action, you choose a guy and they make a wisdom save and then they cannot move away from you if they fail. It's basically compelled duel as a bonus action channel divinity spell. It's, it's great. Um, you also get to turn the tide, which as a bonus action, you bolster injured creatures with your channel divinity. Each creature within 30 feet of you that can hear you, so they don't have to see you, they just have to hear you, Gains hit points equal to 1d6 plus your charisma modifier if it has no more than half of its hit points. So if something's below half of its hit points and can hear you and you choose to, you can give them that hit point boost back as their bonus action. At 7th level, you get Divine Allegiance, which is when a creature within 5 feet of you takes damage. You can use your reaction to magically substitute your own health for that target, causing the damage to take no effect on the creature you buff, and instead you take all of it. So the one caveat on this is the damage that you take cannot be reduced or prevented in any way. So if you're using this ability, you're taking that hit, Mm. okay? I find this, your wizard gets hit by a crit, your paladin just steps in the way and takes it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if you guys are anime nerds, but this is like Piccolo standing in front of Gohan, (laughs) right? This This is just taking the full front of that attack. Terry's looking at me like I've betrayed him deeply. I just... At 15th level, you become an unyielding saint, which is when you gain advantage on saving throws to avoid being paralyzed and stunned. That's all you get, but that's a big thing. And then at 20th level, you become an exalted champion for one hour a day per long rest for one hour. You are resistant to all bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage from non-magical weapons. Your allies have advantage on death saving throws within 30 feet of you. And within 30 feet of you, you have advantage on wisdom saving throws as well as your allies. The one thing I would note is you don't get the advantage on death saves. Your friends do. You don't. That's all right. Right? Yeah. So this ends early if you are incapacitated or die, which, I mean, that would make sense. You're not getting those death saves. And once you use the feature, you can use it again after you take a long rest. So there you go. There's your Oath of the Crown, guys. Okay, let's quickly right. roll initiative on this one then. Because I want to... I want to take this one. I got 14. I got a 19. 19. Uh, what do you want to know? Well, last of the 14. I want to know what stats, race, background clearly synergizes well with this build. Honestly, anything that gives you a boost to con... I think this is your paladin that takes a higher con mm-hmm. than a strength necessarily or charisma even. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so a dwarf, a goliath, a half elf and humans, of course, but like all those con boosting races, uh, a fearbolg, I believe, has a con boost. There's a bunch of them, but like anything that gives you that boost to con, you're doing it. Also, you are oath of the crown. You are military. Yeah. Full stop. So if your background isn't veteran or soldier, yeah. or city watch, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't go city watch because it feels like you'd be the most powerful fucking city watch person ever. Oh, people yeah, who joined the city watch were people who were not good enough to join the army. Well, you, you look at you look at all of the spies that go on missions with James Bond. James Bond walks out, every other spy dies. Yeah. Right? They're all just spies. And I mean, you're not Sean Bean 008 Trevelyan, but I mean, that's the one exception to the rule. But like, you're the same rank as everyone else. You're just the hero. So it, it makes sense if you're the City Watch guy. 
Mm, I don't see it like that, but that's okay. Kyle? Yeah. I mean, I think I can kind of see the City Watch. I mean, they are to protect people. So okay. they would take that bullet the city for, watch is when for the civilians. People joined the curling team because they didn't make the hockey team. That's City yeah. Watch compared to <laughs> the army. <Yeah>. Right? <laughs> we're going to go and fight for the kingdom. Can I come? Just stand on that wall. Hmm. And if they get close enough, we're fucked anyway. Isn't a City Watch like a, basically a cop? It's like, yeah. it's like, it's like, Mm, it's not like police, is yeah. it? It's just well, no, hundred percent like, it is. It's not like police, police. It's yeah, more like no, around. it's more like security. Uh, oh, it, it's not like police. When, if you are in a campaign and you Terry get in a bar fight, which you will, yeah, who gets called? The it's, security. It, it's not. It's not the army. The army doesn't run in. The city watch. The the who guards of the town. Who kicks you out of a bar when you get too the drunk? Bouncer. The security. Yeah. Yeah. Who are so you? Normally trying to become cops. So like the well, no, no, yeah, 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 kind of, we're not going to just nuke an entire profession of people here. Because I love the city watch cafe, you know, like that. No, but like the bouncers and the security guards who are just failed cops. Well, <laughs> like, they're trying to become cops. I didn't say they failed. Okay, this isn't the important yeah. part of the, no, of the no, conversation. No. Okay. <laughs> okay, uh, what sticks out to me, uh, honestly, my first thought is human noble. That's that's odd. interesting. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you you're the knightiest knight that ever the knighted. Knightiest knight that ever knighted. And uh, knights knights were nobles. They could not be the common folk. No. I okay. I like that. I like the spin you put in it, but I don't see that. I see it like I would do this as Goliath or half orc or something big because this is. I hope you got up early and I hope you packed a lunch because me and you, son are going to be here for a while. Yeah. And that's like, the person that starts fighting you immediately regrets it and then they mm. can't get away. They're like, please God. And you just keep fucking pulling them back in. Keep beating the shit out of them. So that's why I didn't see it as like City Watch. This is somebody who's just, uh, he's done this before. I would, I would love to see a build of these guys that has like Tavern Brawler or a little bit of Monk. Because they're just sitting there just like, all right, let's do this. And just yes. cracking their knuckles and going. Because I see City Watchers, like the two guys up on the wall. And one keeps pulling his knife on. He's like, because if anyone comes up to me, I'll, yeah, I'll give him one of them. I'll give him one of them. And the other guy's like, you've literally never done that before. Yeah, right? you will literally piss yourself if, if you see a brigand on, yeah. on the other side of the wall. On the good side of the wall. <laughs> right. Uh, what about, last question for this one. What are the strengths when it comes to role-playing this subclass then? We can go same initiative order. Like I said, you want to play a knight. Yeah. yeah. Which is like an iconic fantasy trope. This is what you do, man. You get healing. You get the full armor. You get the shield. You get a little bit of spell and mysticism to it that adds that sense of wonder and mystery. Right. You get the power of being that absolute raffle stomp, I will fuck your day smite crit that all paladins are. Yeah. Man, I mean, you want to play a knight, you play one of these guys. Hmm. Kyle, you said noble. So how would you kind of role play as a noble? Oh man, I would play this character so annoying. Like just, for king and country, I will save you. No, no, no. Exactly Stand back, that. peasants. <laughs> I played that character. Yeah. The guy who's just a bit too loud yeah. all the time. Yeah, showy. Like, it'd be perfect for you. You love a showy paladin. So. I've already played this character. Yeah. <laughs> this is Titus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I would play... I love that version of it, but I would play it slightly differently. I would play it as, like, a noble plays by gentleman's rules, right? They know when to stop. They kind of play clean. This is the person who does not know when to stop. This is, they don't want to win this battle, they want to win all of the battles. How dare you even think that you could beat me? Now I'm going to make you cry and yeah. piss yourself. <laughs> That's how I would play this. But Tavern Brawler is perfect for this, yeah. I think. Okay, who was going second? Uh, that would be me. Kyle? 
Okay, I'm gonna be talking about the Oathbreaker Paladin. Yeah, so an Oathbreaker Paladin is one who has forsaken their holy vows in order to pursue their ambitions or serve a malevolent force. I'm listening. Where, where, <laughs> thanks, Terry. Appreciate that. Terry just adjusted himself in the seat, and now I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> where once was good, only evil remains. To be an Oathbreaker Paladin, you must be both of an evil alignment and third level. Ooh, a paladin with an alignment restriction. Oh. This this makes my 3.5 Dan happy. Oh. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you lose. Wait, were you going to comment about 3.5 Dan? Wait until we roll. About, no, not until we roll. Already gearing up. So this is normally a paladin that was something else. It had a different oath before, but got rid of it. So as such, they replaced all previous paladin features that they had with the Oathbreaker ones. However, an uh, Paladin can come back from being an Oathbreaker through proper atonement by way of heroic and selfless deeds. First by shedding their evil alignment, and then by undertaking a quest or trial. Uh, once completed, the Paladin can choose a new deity and oath of their choosing. Once again, losing all the Oathbreaker abilities in favor of the ones from their new calling. Uh, it says in the DMG that it doesn't have to be the same one, but personally, I don't think you should be allowed to go back to your same oath if you are an Oathbreaker Paladin. Like, you either shouldn't be allowed back in that order of mm. Paladins, or, like, if you became disenfranchised from it, you probably wouldn't want to go back. I wonder, maybe I would counter that by saying, maybe you might not be accepted, but you still might swear that oath. Okay. Yeah, you know what I'm that. Yeah. Well, also consider, to be cleansed of it, you need to undergo the Atonement spell, which requires a lot of roleplay, requires a lot of build-up. I would include the Atonement spell as up there with like a resurrection spell is one of those spells where as a DM, I'm taking some liberties with and making you go through a process, a descriptive role-playing process to cast it. Mm. Right. Um, because you have to show that your character has atoned. So if mm. you were an oath of devotion and then you fell and became an oath breaker and you played in your campaign for six levels as an oath breaker paladin, and now you have become atoned and have uh, decided to redevote yourself to whatever your grouping was before, that act of atonement is going to be that cleansing act that I think most paladin orders would real yeah. uh, would would look at and accept and follow through with, right? Because you've been atoned for the sin that made you fall in the first place. Yeah, being okay. atoned means you don't have to pay for it anymore. You now get in. You're, I mean. You're still rank one, right? Yeah. I mean, you might have the powers of a level 15 Oath of Devotion Paladin, but you are still a rank one in the organization because you have to start at the ground again. All those previous years of work up until that point left the day you committed that sin. Yeah. You have to earn your place back in it. You got to earn your place yeah. back, right? I think that that actually builds for really intriguing storylines. especially it would be very interesting. Especially yeah. since you have to be evil. Yeah. So, Paladin storylines, you could go so many directions with it. I mean, I think it's something that you shouldn't just gloss over and be like, I'm this, I'm that. Like, I'm getting like Greyjoy vibes of like, what is Dead Moon Never oh, Die? Drowning yeah. and then being re re revived. Well, you, you look at Greyjoy, like, he killed, killed Perfect kids. Perfect example, right? Yeah. Perfect example. Yeah. Killed kids. Yeah. This dude's a child murderer. Dan mm -hmm. has a motorcycle club. D Dan, you're not Dan, you're yeah. Kyle. I'm pointing at I'm usually sitting where Kyle is. <laughs> Kyle again. has a motorcycle Well, I do this all the it's time. It's not anyway. my motorcycle club, just so we're like, clear on that. No, you're like Sergeant at Arm. No, yeah. no he, he's, he's not allowed to the uh, proclaim the, uh, and advertise the motorcycle club on right. the internet. Okay. okay. Yeah. Someone's kneecaps would probably get <laughs> yeah. removed. The nine hell's angels. Oh. <laughs> Damn. Anyway. 
<laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> um, we haven't even gotten to the yeah. abilities of this thing yet. So yeah, like I, I think it really does depend on what the backstory is for it, right? Like yeah. I, I like it a lot because there is a lot of options and then a lot of ways you can play this character. And so I think that would really depend on what your new oath is going to be, I guess. But either way. So subclass features with the Oathbreaker, uh, you gain an expanded spell list consisting of Hellish Rebuke and Inflict Wounds at level 3. Oh. Hellish Rebuke is you hit me, I hit you back. Yeah. Right? With um, fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Inflict Wounds, pretty obvious. Yeah. Uh, it looks like Cure Wounds, but isn't. Yeah. Yeah. At level 5, you get Crown of Madness and Darkness. We have Crown of Madness, uh, where one humanoid of your choice within 120 feet of you succeed on a Wisdom saving throw, or they are charmed. Uh, the charmed creature must use its action before moving, and it must use that action to a- use melee attack a creature other than itself uh, that you mentally choose. The creature then can act normally on its turn if you choose no creature or if none are within reach. Um, so you're like, hey, you, hit that dude. Yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> it's basically like a more fun command. Yeah. Uh, it, right. it, it, it's a command that'll let you make them hurt their friends. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, darkness, pretty obvious. It's cover an area in darkness. Uh, at, at level nine, you get animate dead and bestow curse. And uh, now we see why you have to be evil. Mm-hmm. You get animate dead, you're not a good person. No. Well, Adam might disagree. I would disagree. Really? Yeah. I mean, Claris get animated, don't they? Sometimes people are just lost, right? Yeah. They're just clinging onto things. They're 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 in they're in like their own kind of madness, but they're okay, not necessarily okay, okay, evil. Okay, fair. Or just need curse? a little help from a friend. C- curse. I mean, curse is a strong term. Yes, it but... is literally what you do with the spell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, level thirteen, you get blight. So yeah, evil. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, and one yeah. man's curse is another man's bless. Really, like when we think about it, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also confusion, and then finally at level seventeen you get contagion and dominate person. Like you're I mean, there's an argument. There's an argument for neutral. Yeah, <laughs> well, there's not an argument for good. There's it not one. Gets worse. So if you thought that was bad, I got some news for you. As okay. the as the only class in the game that requires an evil alignment, I certainly hope so. Uh, uh, so I think their channel divinities are the best of any subclass. Like they are ridiculously powerful. Uh, they get control undead, uh, whereas in action they can target one undead creature within thirty feet of themselves, uh, forcing it to make a wisdom saving throw. Which undead suck at wisdom saving yep. throws, so it's almost a guarantee. Uh, where on a fail, the target must obey the paladin's commands for the next twenty-four hours. Um, I just see your necromancer like summoning a. Uh, uh, a blade claw or, or a bone claw or whatever it is and your paladin going oh I like him I'm gonna name him Fred yeah. Fred hit the necromancer and Fred just <laughs> turns slowly and the necromancer shits himself I will take that now <laughs> uh, the creature is immune if its challenge rating is equal to or above the paladin's current level maybe not a bone claw okay yeah <laughs> well, I mean even at third level you can still take over a challenge rating two undead which is Pretty decent. Yep. And then they also get a dreadful aspect, whereas in action, uh, you let the hate flow through you like a Sith. And <laughs> each creature of the Paladin's choice within 30 feet of it must make a Wisdom saving throw, where on a fail, that target is frightened of the Paladin for the next minute, meaning that creature has disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks as long as it can see the Paladin and cannot willingly move closer to them. Uh, at level 7, they get Aura of Hate, which is coincidentally also what I get whenever I'm in the same room as Terry. <laughs> I didn't hear what you said because I was adjusting my sock. 
What did you say? Uh, I said at level seven, they get aura of hate, which is coincidentally also what I get whenever I'm in the same room with you. At least you're not Brad. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah, you know what you get, Terry. <laughs> Um, what did I do? <laughs> what didn't you do? Remember when we were playing board games and we were supposed to team up uh, against the I tyranny that it was team. Ian or Dave and Adam? No, you turned on me the first second you got, the first chance you got. <laughs> I can't believe. Do you know? Well, you guys were playing an evil campaign of this, weren't, weren't you? No, it was just a board game. Scythe, oh, it was yeah, a board we were, game. We were playing oh, okay. Scythe. Yeah. And he's like, do you oh, know what's so funny is you're carrying this around with you and I forgot it happened. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Kyle. I won't ever do that to you again you because I realize that now that it bothers you, but I might need you. I might, we might need each other. I mean to say in the future. Yeah. So <laughs> once you are properly penitent, I'll forgive you. Uh, <laughs> rough. I'm just kidding. Terry, I love you, man. That's You're a great guy. <laughs> Anyways, aura of hate. So what does aura of hate do? It is leaning towards evil. The words that are coming out of this. Yeah. You know, yeah. Aura of hate. It's hard to make an argument. Yeah. <laughs> Any undead and fiends within 10 feet of you uh, increase to le- 30 feet at level 18 of the paladin, as well as the paladin himself gain a bonus to melee weapon damage equal to the paladin's charisma modifier. At level 15, it uh, gets them supernatural resistance, meaning they get resistance to non-magical stabs, smashes, and slicey dicey attacks. Finally, at level 20, they get the Dreadlord ability, where once per long rest, as an action, the paladin can surround themselves with an aura of menace and gloom that turns bright light in a 30-foot radius to dim light. The paladin and creatures of its choice within the aura are covered in even deeper shadows, meaning creatures that rely on sight have disadvantage to hit them. Uh, on top of that, if any creature that has been frightened by the paladin starts its turn in there, it will take 4d10 psychic damage. And as a bonus action, the paladin can also attack a creature in the aura with the shadows by making a melee spell attack. On a hit, that creature takes 3d10 plus its charisma modifier in necrotic damage. That aura lasts for one minute. Jeez. Can you, I Sometimes I think when the, the flavor text comes out, can you imagine being the NPCs in this environment? Can you imagine being the baker that got dragged along on this bullshit <laughs> and then everything you described is happening to level zero Fred who runs the bakery? Like, oh, yeah. I can't imagine. Poor guy. I think we need to put more flavor text into these uh, D&D campaigns. I'm with DMs. you. Yeah, just uh, like slowly spreading dark light moving through your town and then exactly. all of a sudden like someone gets... Ripped out of their home by a shadow. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Terrifying. I always thought that's how they should do Batman movies. I thought one director should do it like it's fucking terrifying. The idea that Batman is coming for you is is like this bone yeah. chilling. The new Batman movie coming out with Robert Pattinson. It, I'm hopeful. Yeah, mm. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. So I think their synergy with the undead makes them really unique. Almost like they had a favorite ally instead of an enemy. Mm. Uh, and if you paired them with a necromancer and a cleric, like. Mm. Yeah, you're gonna cause some damage. Yeah, right. So oh, this, yes, you could have this as like the necromancer's like bane character, yeah. like that. Yeah, this this is. Or the... if they were in a party like a grave cleric, a necromancer, and this guy, you're fucking unstoppable. Exactly. Well, what you need to do is like this is the character that is slowly trying to become a dread knight. Mm. Right, he's slowly trying to become that evil undead. Like, you know how most evil wizards try to become liches? Mm. This guy, like, knows you could attain immortality as a dread knight. I love it. Okay, right. yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah. For insights, like, parallels, the first thing I thought about with this is uh, Necromongers from the Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah, I guess so, hey? Yeah. There was another one, too, that I thought of as I was falling asleep, but then I woke up and I couldn't remember what it was. 
It's <laughs> driving me nuts. I've been trying to figure it out all day. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Okay. <laughs> I love how you gave one example and then told us that there was another one, but you can't remember what it is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you <gotta> just <laughs> <give> <laughs> one. There's two. I can't. I just one. wanted you to know that I had another. That you've been that you've been yeah. trying hard. I've at been home. trying. That's okay. Okay, should we roll initiative on this? Mm. I'll go with a black die because I'm inspired. Ten. I got a natural 20. Ooh, five. All right, Dan, I want to know about the, the stats, race, background, uh, things that you think will work well for this. So, I mean, this guy I see being an acolyte more okay. than anything else. Ooh, I, want, I want them to have that religious bend to them in terms of a, a background. Or go knight, which gives you three retainers as mm. an ability that follow you around. Okay. Right? Just make them undead. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Right? As as for race, okay, hear me out. I really want to see these guys be like a fire genasi or oh, no, I mean, wait, yeah. or uh Shadar Kai or a Kalashtar. Like I I wanna have let's be honest, an Oathbreaker Paladin is is you you lean into the edge. Right. So tiefling, right? Anything that is like surface level evil. This you could then ramp up with a Oathbreaker Paladin, right? right I okay. mean, there's a lot of things that work. I, I really like Tiefling because you get that bonus to charisma as well, mm-hmm. which always will help a Paladin. So yeah, man, that's 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 what I think. A, a Tiefling. Yeah, yeah, I think. Or Red Dragonborn. Yeah, I was trying to stay away from the obvious, but I was think, I was leaning to Dragonborn as well. I was thinking Black Dragonborn, of course. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but th- that's that's the direction I was going as well. Just truly terrifying. As though they tried to go against their nature or what they think their nature should be and they just failed. You know, like they just de- never believed in themselves that they could hold this good anyway. So they oh. just fully embraced the dark side. Fallen ASMR. Oh, yeah. Like oh, a Scourge yeah. ASMR? Yeah. 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 No, no, Fallen ASMR because they, like, they also fell off that path, right? So just double down on the... Yeah. I have... I have thrown away my legacy or right, yeah. everything that I was going to be and just fuck it. Yeah, go go the other route and go like, you could also go like silver or gold dragonborn and like go that metallic or yeah, but, right? well, like the reason anything that, that's traditionally good. So like, shit, be a gnome. Well, the, do you see? <laughs> the reason I said black dragonborn um, is because the whole world would view them as that anyway. Mm-hmm. And I, I think over time, or your backstory should show that this is a cultural thing in that everybody thinks you're that, expects that from you, tells you you are that your whole life. And then that's what you become because the world won't let you be anything else. Mm-hmm. And so okay. if that's what, if that's what you're saying I am, that's what I'm going to become. And it's going to be worse than you ever imagined. I like that. Okay. So guys, with this idea of the Oathbreaker Paladin and the Oath of the Crown Paladin, it really got me thinking the organizations that we base our characters around a lot of times when you have a character you have that you know my that orphan who is born under a sign and like going forward and has no background attachments i i would i would really caution all players and all dms to put in a lot of work into the organization that raises your character as well right your parents are the ones who gave birth to you yes but who taught speak. you how to swing a sword for the first time? Who taught you how to speak properly, right? Who taught you the rules of court and the methods of survival on the road? Those characters are going to be just as important as any of your parental or any of those other figures, right? So not only does it give your DMs more ammunition to kind of draw your character 
down emotional pathways, which is, let's be honest, we're, we're, we're seeking that in this game. We're seeking that emotional release, that, that, that interesting narrative story. So when you're building your backstories, when you're building your character, when you're going through the arc of your character's story, have organizations and groups that are well fleshed out that your party and your player can interact with and really help develop who their, who their character wants to be. Give them role models, right? And then take them away in horrible bloody deaths. Okay. That is my DM tip and my player tip for the day. Um, this is coming from a place of pain because this is recently going to be happening to one of the players in the campaign I'm running. I've built this whole like little organization and I'm about to tear their souls out of their chests. So it's it's going to be lots of fun. Excellent. Yeah, all right. Yeah. I am really excited to hear more about that. Yeah. <laughs> Remind me in one week about the Pendracus clan. Yeah. It'll be right. fun. <laughs> Fuck you, Jared. <laughs> Fuck you, Jared. Uh, if you guys like what you hear, please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and r slash It's a Mimic on Reddit. Uh, you can also send us questions uh, to info at It's a Mimic.com. And we also take any questions uh, for our mailbag episodes. Okay, I guess I'm third. And I have Oath of the Watchers. I want to read this little Tasha quotation here that says, These paladins aren't at all up to what I expected. Worse, they send home your party's best guests. And I uh, related with that. Oh. <laughs> I, I've done a little bit of reading into the Oath of the Watchers. I straight up fucking love this. Yeah. Like, oh, you so, like this one? Yeah. Are you ready to go? Yeah. I like it as well. Okay, so for the for those folks at home, the Oath of the Watchers are a group of paladins that protect the mortal realms from the extra planar threats. Yeah. As aliens. It's the aliens out there in space. And this is your Cthulhu. This yeah. is your mind flayers. It, it, it really is. And it's kind of going away from the traditional sort of religious and, and, and swearing to a deity. But yeah. it's more looking um, extraterrestrial. And that's what, that's what I kind of enjoy about it. The, the tenets of the Watchers being vigilance. The threats you face are cunning, powerful, and subversive. Be ever alert for their corruption or loyalty. Never accept gifts or favors from fiends or those who truck with them. Stay true to your order, your comrades, and your duty. Discipline. You are the shield against the endless terrors that lie beyond the stars. Your blade must be forever sharp and your mind keen to survive what lies beyond. So, the, the spells for this oath then. So, they get alarm, detect magic, moonbeam, see invisibility... Counterspell, non-detection, aura of purity, banishment, hold monster, and scrying. I, I don't know what you guys think about those, but they all seem to line up with spells I thought would be useful and relevant to this. To this well, yeah, I mean, you, you are preventing the arrival of extra planar, outer world level threats. Yeah. All of that's going to be helpful to you. Like, I, aura of purity, your your banishment, uh, see invisibility, if they're hiding within. Old monster. Yeah. yeah. I even like Moonbeam as an addition. It was a weird, like, I thought it was a weird choice at first, but then the more I read into it, like, you know, it any shape changer has to change back to their original yeah. form. Yeah. Right? Like, I was really, I was cool addition. I liked it. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm kind of sad they don't get true seeing, but. Yeah, yeah. Especially with, like, the character art, this uh, dwarf paladin of the Watcher that's there has glowing eyes, and I'm like, ah, well. Yeah. Okay, let's check out the channel divinity. Sure. Uh, Watcher's will. You can use your channel divinity to invest your presence with the warding power of your faith. So as an action, you can choose a number of creatures. You can see up to 30 feet of you. That's a number equal to your charisma modifier, minimum of one creature. And for one minute, you and the chosen creatures have advantage on intelligence, wisdom, and charisma saving throws. I can certainly find a time when I think that would be useful for me. Yeah, uh, like you get jumped by a mind flare and you go, oh, fuck, okay, everybody, <laughs> gird your loins, we're doing this, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. 
Abjure the extra planar. Um, as an action, you present your holy symbol, and each aberration, celestial, ele elemental, fey, or fiend within 30 feet of you that can hear you must make a wisdom save, or they're turned for up to one minute. This is turn. Yeah, so this is turn, aberration, celestial, elemental, mm -hmm. fey. And what's that last one? Fiend. Or fiend. Yeah, so turn all the weird things from out of the plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. At seventh level, aura of the sentinel, so you admit an aura of alertness when you aren't incapacitated. And when you and any creatures of your choice within 10 feet of you roll initiative, you all gain a bonus to your initiative, which is equal to your proficiency bonus. And at 18th level, that aura increases to, to 30 feet. Oh, That's hugely powerful mm. because initiative is everything in this game. Well, I think if you are playing the new race that came out with the Feywild book that just came out, that the, the Herringen, the, basically the rabbit folk, and they get an ability where they get to add their, I think they get to add the proficiency modifier to their their initiative innately with these two things stack yeah so you get expertise in initiative make this guy a uh, uh i think it's gloom stalker that gets to add your wisdom modifier to your initiative yeah. and take the alert feet so you get take the alert feet so you get yeah. another plus five <laughs> yeah, right yeah. so like you get double proficiency modifier you get your alert uh, plus five you get your dex which is probably a plus five because you're a ranger you stand close to this guy like, you're walking around with a plus 20-something to your initiative. I know, yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. 15th level, you get Vigilant Rebuke, which basically means that whenever a creature you can see within 30 feet of you succeeds on an intelligence, a wisdom, or a charisma saving throw, you use your reaction to cause 2d8 plus your charisma modifier force damage to that creature that forced that saving throw. So essentially, they do good, and you hurt them for doing it. So, like, they make the save, and you're like, well, fuck you. Yeah, and you hurt them anyway. You hurt them anyway. No, cool. Is there a limitation on the amount of times you can do that in a day? Oh, it doesn't say here, I don't think. I'm sure it will if there is. It doesn't say. You can use your reaction, reaction. to yeah, deal with reaction. the plus your charisma modifier force damage. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. All right. What about this 20th level one here? Mortal Bulwark. So you manifest a spark of divine power and defense against the mortal realms. As a bonus action, you gain the following benefits for one minute. I'm going to read this one verbatim. It's from page 55 of Tasha's. Uh, and that's just because there's no way I'll be able to paraphrase all of this. Um, you gain true sight within a range oh, of 120 feet. You have advantage on attack rolls against aberrations, celestials, elementals, fate, and fiends. When you hit a creature with an attack roll and deal damage to it, you can also force it to make a charisma saving throw against your spell save DC. On a failed save, the creature is magically banished to its native plane of existence if it's not currently there on a successful save the creature can't be banished by this feature for 24 hours notice there's no time this is not the banished spell no yeah it just goes it doesn't come back a minute later it's see you later that's like you hit it and just goes whoop. Yeah. it's a bonus action but you can only do it once per long rest uh unless you expend a fifth level spell slot to use it again Jeez, i'm okay so this lasts for a minute you get all of these benefits and then you could recharge it with a fifth level spell slot, which you're just going to use on smites normally. And this yeah. is more powerful than a smite. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you're 20th level at this point. So you're going to need this again. Oh, yeah. You know, if it's fitting in with your story arc. So, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I'm annoyed that the Oath of the Brown doesn't get the reuse this ability on a spell. Right. Yeah. Right? You, you really see this... Uh, evolution of the game as the years go by and skag being as old as it was it just didn't have that and now we see that popping up more and more with more classes especially with tasha's and right down the line so okay let's roll initiative kyle ready 
In the box, oh, Terry. In the box, I Kyle. Mean, in the box, you. Terry. Oh, Shit. God, That's what she said. Shit in the box. <laughs> 19. I'm not here to yuck anybody's yum, mm. but yuck. <laughs> For those at home, Kyle got a 15, Dan got a 4. Mm. Okay, so stats, race, background, what's jumping out? What do we think for this one? You oh, first, oh I'm going you first, my dude. That's I, what a 19 means. I've got to go... Higher numbers are the gooder ones. Yeah. I have to go human for this one because I want them to be appear very vulnerable because I'm just getting pure men in black vibes. Okay, cool. From this. Okay, I'm going deep down men in black, so I don't want anything too showy for the character because the idea being that it's revealing the interesting races and creatures elsewhere. But I would like my character to appear quite vulnerable and mundane. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So that's what's jumping out at me. Uh, For me, I'd have to say anything with a long lifespan, like elves, like dwarves. Dwarves, yeah. yeah, Something that's, it's seen the effects that these creatures have had. And so it's dedicated its existence to defeating this menace that is trying to constantly come in. Because I mean, these these menaces live forever, right? So you want to have eternal guardians against them. Mm-hmm. For me, it's any of the races that have that flavor of the planes. This would work really well. So I, I think Fjordbolg, I think Kalashtar, I think um, Shifters even would work in this. Mm. The Eldrin would work really well considering they are fae, right? So I, yeah, man, I, fairies and Harringans, of course, being from the Feywild books... Anything that has that flavor of the planes, I'd want to have here because they know what evils come from the planes and they have made their home on the material plane and they are here to protect it, right? So it it really, really tracks. And as long as you have a bonus to uh, charisma, constitution, or strength, you're golden. Right, right. right. I want to ask one more question, though, on this. What are the strengths of the class when it comes to role-playing? I mentioned Men in Black real briefly there, and I wondered if that sparked any inspiration or if you guys already had your own on on how you might role-play this character. Me first, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking role-playing in that you're complementing, like, say, the Bard. We know the Bard does all the talking, but a lot of these spells and the abilities are, are around... Like revealing, right? So it's like sea invisibility. Even that channel divinity there where you turned the aberrations and and the fiends or whatever, that is a way of revealing them in a hidden crowd. You know, if you're in a marketplace and you're trying to find somebody and you you knock that ability on and then all of a sudden they're all sprinting away, you revealed that, right? And so I think you can tie that into investigation and like the interpersonal kind of role play as being like those men in black type reveals. I've This guy's... To me, is like the fantasy private eye, like in in a way, right? You could play the Harry Dresden, and this is the kind of character yeah. you get, right? Yeah. Where exactly like you said, like they're there to kind of root out outsiders, and I'm very Men in Black feel. You're you're completely correct there. So like you play these guys, I don't see them necessarily being a full order. I don't see them playing into an order. I would definitely play these guys solo, but have an order that like. Kind of occasionally pops its head in. I I just have very Dresden feels with yeah. these guys. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a little bit of like a Van Helsing kind of feel. Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. Like loose collections of people all over the world kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I see them as being very aloof. Like they are the person that's standing in the back of a room, not really talking to, but they can see everything. Right. Like I imagine them having a very high perception. Oh, right. oh, 100%. Or, yeah. and, and very high insight. Yeah. Right? So any any race that gives you a bonus to int and wisdom would be a benefit here. I, don't, I, I can't believe I just realized this, but these guys could also be like your Winchesters from Supernatural, right? Yeah. Okay, these yeah. The, your uh, men of colors level of things where it's a society that is hell-bent to remove 
the taint of evil and devils and uh, demons from our plane, right? Yeah. If if I'm doing an Avernus campaign where I'm going from Baldur's Gate into Avernus, I'm playing one of these mm-hmm. if I'm not playing a cleric. Mm-hmm. I liked but, what you said about high insight because you can get creative as the DM if you have this type of character where it's like, if you roll an insight check and you score highly, I would say that there, you could smell like rotten eggs on this person. Yeah, you smell the sulfur. And okay. you know what that means. Everyone else just thinks that somebody's farted or something like that. Well, we, we look at things like the Wild Magic Barbarian, which gives you a detect magic ability, but you're a barbarian and you have no rights to be able to be like, oh, that is an evocation spell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? No, you're a barbarian. You're like, that's boom magic. Yeah. So using the other senses to describe the effects of the spells, I think is great. I think yeah. that's a great idea. Where it's yeah, like, I think so. you feel that static electricity feel. Right before. That your, your hair stand, you get the spider sense, like your hair stands up on end, and you're like, oh shit, there's a fae nearby. Yeah, it's okay. kind of like, it's it's absolutely like that, where you're, you're using what appears to be mundane as signs of something else. So whereas the the wizard and the other casters may be looking for um, like hand movements, they may be looking for whispering or something like that, but not the barbarian that you just mentioned notices that he's getting that tingling that always comes right before the shocking grasp spell yeah. or something like that. Oh, this always happens right before that happens. But the wizard isn't going to focus on that. It's a bit of PTSD. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Not again. Not, I took off the armor. Exactly. I took it all off and that's why I'm a barbarian now. Shit. Exactly that. Okay, let's go into creative builds. Let's do it. Okay, final roll. Let's go. I got a five. I got a 16. 14. Kyle got a 14. Kyle, give us a creative build. Uh, I got a 16. Dan. I got a 16, Dan, Terry. give us a creative build. I, I'm so focused on what I'm reading <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that I just say a name. Yeah, though, Megan, give us a creative build. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't have the burp ability on me right now. I, yeah, I heard it. Yeah, yeah. I heard it on the, uh, the Instagram story. <laughs> <laughs> so I mentioned earlier that the... Oath of Crown was the nightiest night that ever knighted. Well, um, my build for them is going to actually take that as a bit of a left turn and be like the code of a knight, the code of the Templar, was mirrored in some ways. I know they're vastly different things, but in the code of Bushido. And if you want to play a samurai type paladin character, you play Oath of the Crown. Mm-hmm. that stand across the field with each other with your single weapon command that duel you're fighting for me i serve this emperor i serve this lord and i am i am his tool to do with as he pleases and to serve his will out in the fields and to serve his justice out in the field that feel for a samurai-esque character is great so i was thinking racially where would we put this guy um hobgoblins naturally have a very militaristic Mm. and eastern feel to them they have a very japanese samurai era feel to them so they fit naturally so a hobgoblin oath of the crown would be amazing but so would like an earth genasi earth genasi get bonuses to con and to strength they have all of those like stand your ground level abilities right man I, i love the idea of a earth genasi flavored samurai with oath of the crown and like again i would go noble background i'd go knight background i'd go militia background like i would do one of these mercenary background even and follow that and hell you could go ronin with it eventually Mm -hmm. and your Mm -hmm. oathbreaker paladin becomes a ronin yeah right now you have to earn back that favor that face that you lost when you that defied your master's wishes right so there's so many cool Eastern flavor roleplay you could have with an Oath of the Crown That's guy. That's right. 
I love it. Absolutely love it. I didn't it. think of going Eastern, no, but it no. sounds good. Kyle? I went edgy with my... You yeah, don't say. Yeah. With uh, the Oathbreaker Paladin, yeah, you went I, for the edge. I, when I imagined it, I imagined it less that, you know, I want to go to evil. I imagine like, losing faith in what I was originally dedicated to, right? Like, I was asked to do a despicable act that, you know, fit along with whatever oath I was going for, but that personally felt repugnant to me okay, as, right. as a person. And so I went Dragonborn just because I freaking love Dragonborn Paladins. I don't know why, okay, but, sure. like... I've played one. Yeah. No, played more than one. And so I imagined, basically, you know, my order was told to go in and slaughter a village of kobolds. And so that personally affected him so much that he decided to leave it all behind and swear vengeance against his once order. And then the slow transition to coming back and, you know, uh, gaining faith again. I imagine, like... It's, a, it's an intriguing character arc to run with. Yeah. Right? And, and as a DM, I'm lifting the evil requirement... It's just the requirement is not good, right? You just cannot be a good Oathbreaker Paladin. Yeah. Right? I let you be lawful neutral, mm. right? Um, especially if your goal is that redemption arc. Yeah. Right? Like, Do it, you like, like them? you're playing the struggle between Yeah. Guys, yeah. Right? You want to play that tension, right? Do you let them start as an Oathbreaker? Or do you make them start something Fuck else? No. And then... Depends on depends on the start of the campaign. If yeah. I'm playing a evil-focused one-shot, yes. But most of my campaigns are good mm. and will end with your characters being the big damn heroes. So start it, then have your fall moment, play as an Oathbreaker Paladin for a few levels, and then gain redemption. And then that brings your character that much closer to the tenets that you agreed with with your original oath. Yeah. Right? So I, I, I love that that flow of the narrative where, like, shit hits the fan and you lose faith, mm. right? And no, then you I, build it back up. I think you can start it from Oathbreaker because I think the backstory can be the fallout. It's that whole idea of when you start a story, you cut the first 10 minutes off. People will figure it out. Yeah. You go along with it, right? Like, the... Like the movie, it starts in the middle of the heist kind of thing, you know, and you, if you know, it's, or at the end of it, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be tough to introduce an Oathbreaker Paladin to like, yeah, and, a rest that, of a party that's neutral or good. You, you have very built in the lore of the character, somebody who does not play well with others. Mm. Uh, yeah, but you can, unless be, they're undead. And, you don't have to do that with just no, because somebody's yeah. evil doesn't mean they need to be fucking Sauron. It could yeah. just be that they've swayed away from their original um, values or yeah, whatever. Yeah. So and it, and especially if you're starting level one when you're lower powered anyway, you know it may just be that it's gone off to the side. And you can join them with a party who may be good people because you may have a common enemy. If you start it in the middle of the the dragon burning that city down or whatever, and you all it's in everybody's best interest to to work together. Um, I think you can go from there. I hear what you guys are saying, but I don't think it means they need to be all powerful evil. They just they're just leaning on this side. Okay. There can be one foot in it, right? That's my turn. Okay, my character build. I'm I'm gonna stick with with Oath of the Watchers. I love this Men in Black. I love it when I don't typically play smaller creatures, but I would take something like a gnome or a character that you think would typically not do well or be afraid. I'm serious, Dan. I'm already invested in Terry playing a gnome, and I would stick them in somewhere where they're complete. a small box with with long spikes inside. Yeah, that's what I did. They pick up the box and shake it a bit. No, I put them in. I'd put them in an environment where they're completely outnumbered, completely outgunned, like literally like the 
City of Brass or something like that. Oh, this yeah. Oath of Watchers. And it's not that they're trying to take them all out. It's that they're... This may just be their backstory, because obviously it may not go with the story arc, but kind of like that Enemy of the Gates feel if you're just trying to go for the officers or the important people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And peop- the, the people in this place know that this character is out there somewhere, and it's like the reveal in the bar. Yeah. Oh, fuck, it's Lockheed. It's, it's Demon Lockheed. It was me again. all along. <laughs> and then he fucks off again yeah. down the sewers or something. Like, I might literally play him as like a... Something very humble, modest, like literally like an urchin or something like that, where he's just dedicated his life to living in the shadows, and and this is for whatever reason in the backstory, uh, this is this is his cause now. Jeez, yeah, but okay. somebody somebody who should be completely outgunned and outnumbered. I I like the idea of having like one of these guys fully on display as being a member of the Watchers. All of the extraplanar creatures know what those symbols on their armor mean. Yeah, and this dude's just walking. Skin. Oh yeah, just mm. tattooed in the middle of their forehead. Yeah. Like, but this guy's just walking brazenly down the middle of the street in the city of brass, mm. and there's a pit fiend looking at them like, you motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Turning all there, of the rest of the fiends as well. There yeah. are rules here. That means I can't make you wear your intestines, but you turn off the street into an alley and I'ma get away with it. Yeah, mm. yeah. Right? Like, and just your character knows and is openly challenging, you know. Fucking fuck around and try it. See what happens. Fuck around right? and see. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. Final thoughts from anyone. F- fucking, I love paladins and like. Yeah. Yeah. We have gotten so many weak subclasses from Sorkos Adventures Guide. Order of the Crown's not weak, man. I like them all. I, I like. like I like, I like all, all of them yeah. tonight. Yeah. Um, Oathbreaker is a bit on the powerful side. Let's mm, make a yeah. yeah, honest. It was. But. Every single last one of these is amazing, Has is full of flavor, mm-hmm. and you're not bound to a religious order, right? I think the closest we get is Oath of the Watchers, and only because it's called Oath of the Watchers. Yeah. Right? I think but, Paladins has become interesting again, because um, before it was everybody knew what the Paladin was. The Paladin was the same dude all of the time. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and we got over it, and we got sick of that lawful stupid, and now it's you can be so creative. We gave very different builds there. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's hilarious. Like, it, when 5e first came out, the Paladin and the Ranger, which have always kind of been associated, associated with each other from previous editions, having the same kind of spell ability, same martial bend, right. same divine influence, right? They've always been kind of closely associated, rangers and, and paladins. But rangers were always the more flavorful, the more full class, the more... There's a lot more potential in them because they were a lot less restricted than paladins. They flipped that coin on its head for 5e. Yeah. And now we have paladins that feel full and flavorful and unrestricted, mm. except you have to be evil. And rangers are just like... Womp, womp, Right, maybe we'll they've get since there. fixed rangers. They since fixed rangers. Right, I freaking love rangers now. But like when Five B first came out, man, like it's like they're like, okay, so we're gonna take everything that the paladin did wrong, and we're just gonna do it to the ranger. No. <laughs> ranger, it's your turn no. now. Ranger, we don't know how to the... fix this. We're just gonna shift the blame. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's all for this discussion on paladins for now. We've got a lot more ground to cover with lots of other classes and subclasses. So subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week we'll be shifting our conversation from a martial class with some magical flair to a magical class with some martial flair as we see what new kinds of warlocks are offered up in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything and Van Richten's Guide to Monsters. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website at www.itsamimic.com, as well as a store for some awesome merch. We also rely on word of mouth to get the news of the podcast out there to the community. So please pass the word on to everyone you know that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. Mostly mangled sentences. Yes. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, requests, and questions for our mailbags can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. So, if you guys were a paladin in real life, what do you think it would take to get you to break your oath? Oh. <laughs> Are uh, we rolling? Oh, yeah, let's roll for this. That white dice is brand new this week, though. Three. Also a three, Terry. Roll on. 18, 19. Uh, back to a three, back so I'll go three. last. So, Kyle? Um, honestly, I think it would depend on how hungry I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm a good person until I'm hungry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, That's man. Right. I love eating, too. So, like, if someone presents me, they're like, here's some crab rangoon. Yeah, I'm sold. Okay, yeah. I'm out. Yeah, uh, black lipstick and a pulse will probably do it. Uh, okay, so so we got too bothered about the pulse. So so we we got the the hunger motivation. We've got the horny motivation. Hunger. Well, with all with all the uh, thirst, hunger and with, thirst. Well, with all predators, I mean, the, there's that response to either you know fight, fuck, or flee, right? Mm-hmm. So what would make me break my oath? Uh, probably from running away. From a fight that I thought was a lot harder than right. it was. Dan's got, Dan swears an oath until he becomes a coward and yeah. runs away. It was a good idea at the time. Yeah, it was a good idea. I mean, there was benefits and then I had to fight a Baylor and fuck that. Good point. Good point. Thanks for listening. Bye.